Welcome to the Social Justice War Room, the podcast where we take a look at social justice and fiction, reality, and everything in between. T- today's topic is substantially darker than usual, and as such, my guest is a autism self-advocate, paraeducator, and member of Autism Against Fascism, and she studies the the ways in which autism and autistic communities are being influenced by fascist com- rhetoric and groups. Please welcome Zvai Dov. How, how are you doing today? Good, good. I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. Reading up on some of the stuff that goes into this was not pleasant. So I can, I can only imagine how much you've researched and I admire that you're able to do that. Yeah, extremism research is not fun, but for those of us that do it, we we always have to find ways to, um, you know, take breaks from it and everything. Uh, The field has become a little more aware of those needs, (laughs) which I'm grateful to, you know, see more information on how to, you know, have a healthy way of going around uh studying the kinds of worst people ever (laughs) yeah that's i've heard the same about climate activists that you do need to take care of your mental health in order to not get burnt out oh absolutely yeah i mean with um pretty much any sort of advocacy um it gets it's it's really difficult i mean i'm a self-advocate so um, on, on disability rights, um, in addition to my research and, oh, wow, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, uh, as the insults might say, it's black pilling, um, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. So on previous podcasts, incels have come up a lot because of their proximity to various fandoms. I, an episode will be up in the next few days where I talk to an autistic friend of mine who's noted the same concerns of like Gamergate recruiting, especially autistic people because they always seek to recruit people with some kind of desperation in their life and grudge. But as I was reading your, your site, it it seems like the different groups that, that fascists are targeting within the disability community are much wider and they take tactics that many haven't even considered. Yeah, so the, the first thing is um, on incels, um, we know that the, a lot of autistic people um, are involved in it. The subculture um, is very disproportionately um, filled with people who in some way are identifying with autism. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are autistic because on the far right there is a concept of autism that is separate from the diagnosis, but definitely very tied. Um, it's generally not positive, and we can talk more about that uh, binary later. But um, the incels.co, the, basically the premier um, incels forum, um, asks people um, why they're incels. 40% of respondents in this like 600 some odd um, person survey, which for the, the, the forum is pretty sizable. Um, 40% said it was because of autism or a similar condition. Um, 
So we know that incels um, are particularly good at recruiting um, people who have some identification of autism, um, whoever that is, um, you know, that they're diagnosed with it um, or that they're self-diagnosing or that they um, identify with um, sort of conceptually what they think autism is. Um, I'll also bring up, and this came up today because the Institute on the, oh gosh, what is it called? Research of Male Supremacy, the IRMS. Um, uh, they they um, were <laughs> responding to a very big uh, issue in the countering violent extremism field. But I, I brought up their report on misogynist incels. That's how they delineate between people who um, uh, say, I like identify with the term involuntary celibate, but don't necessarily have the ideology attached and misogynist incels is what they call the people who are ideologically um, in line with um, what incel communities think about women and often people of color, um, social structures, et cetera. Um, but anyway, they have a really, really great report that um, I brought up today on the, on the Twitter. I, I'm one who mostly runs it. Um, and I'd love for you to also share that because it's so important. Will do. Um, it's, shared. it's weird. It's hard to conceive at first because we, we likely have a lot of mutual acquaintances in the autism self-advocacy community. It's so who, small. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, but like all the people, I've had a lot of neurodivergent people on my podcast, which is very much on the left. And mm. it seems like due to that experience of being on the outside, a lot of the autistic people I know tend to skew much more progressive. I mean, there's still like a, a spectrum between like, like liberal reform and anarcho-communist but we still have like the base basic consensus that being good to people is good and in these incel cell groups the exact opposite is true they don't even seem to like each other beyond the fact that they all have a mutual enemy no it's really interesting you know i don't do a lot of research on incels because i find that research to be really bad for my mental health more so than even studying neo-Nazis. I mean, it's obvious I'm, I'm Jewish um, from just my name, but like, um, you know, for whatever reason, that's a little more approachable personally to me. Um, so I, I really do have to defer to other scholars um, in, in terms of like what insults us. But in any case, what you do notice is that like many activist communities even incel communities are very insular. They um, are often trying to uh, figure out who is the most pure incel of all. And, uh, you know, in, in fandom communities, we'll call this gatekeeping. Um, and honestly, incel um, is very much in line with how fandom communities operate, except most people who like, I don't know, like Animorphs aren't going out and um, killing people, <laughs> um, but certainly um, that's encouraged in incel communities. Um, they have a whole term for it called going ER, ER sin right. or Elliot Rogers. Right, I, he went to UCSB in Santa Barbara. So 
That's yeah. where I grew up and I ended up reading his whole manifesto. And oh gosh. That's but so of course it speaks to a place of tremendous bitterness and feeling, but also kind of a sense of entitlement that yeah. he felt owed sex by women. And in his case, he's he had like a Hollywood producer dad, so he was hardly dealing with the desperation of poverty. Of course, yeah. But there's a lot of other areas with it within the disability community, like people with intellectual disabilities who aren't afforded many rights to make decisions for themselves. Yeah, like, um, you know, people who are living in many group homes don't have the right to have a partner, particularly if they're queer. Um, And I mean, plenty of heterosexuals um, who are living in, you know, certain group homes are forbidden to have like a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Um, It's, uh, you know, there's actually someone in reality conspiring against them having sex, essentially, because they find it, you know, icky (laughs) for disabled people to have sex, which is just disturbing. That's... That's really horrifying. And obviously, there is the anti vax movement that started around fraudulent claims that vaccines cause autism has grown into a tremendous force on the right, one that's preventing us from actually getting through this pandemic. Yeah, although I'll, I'll be a little nitpicky and mentioned that Wakefield was funded by the modern movement against vaccines, um, particularly in the autism community. Uh, He didn't start it. Um, The person who you can most credit with starting it um, probably is Bernard Rimland of the Autism Society of America. Um, He also founded the Biomed, um, you know, slash Kirby movement, um, you know, uh, in, in neurotribes, which I, I give a tepid recommendation to, um, he, he, Silverman really sums up the um, history on that really well, in my opinion. But in any case, he thought that basically like uh, autistic people needed a certain kind of a vitamin or there was, there was something like a magic pill that they could take um, that would reverse, reverse autism. And uh, that, that, autism society until um autism speaks was really the largest autism organization pretty much in the world yeah um so yeah that's my nitpick (laughs) it's fine just that there's has to be some degree of double think to be have a disability and be a fascist because as we all know that's one of the the groups the nazis went after that they sent to the gas Mm -hmm. chamber people physically unfit so how how do they like put maneuver people with disabilities in a way where they don't feel imminently at threat well this is this is an interesting one and that's really something I've been it's really a central guiding question to me in my research is why is someone who is a target of a group um, joining them. Um, 
I like to use the example of a um, traditionalist Catholic griper, um, griper being a follower of Nick Fuentes, um, who is a Holocaust denier, um, that um, believes he can enter mainstream Republican Party politics. Uh, he's got a little bit of the right idea on how to do entryism, but he's not very good at it. <laughs> um, uh, in any case, uh, there is an there is an autistic um, gay Asian griper. I found and um, griper communities are uh, not fond of any of those identities <laughs> to say the least. Um, and a lot of what I found of this particular person is they were highly depressed and also very transphobic. Um, they um, oftentimes would make appeals to their cisgender identity um, to stake a claim in uh, the Graper movement. Um, so there's a lot of this um, interesting dynamic there. Um, uh, sh sh oh my God, I forget her name. I think it's um, Shannon Martinez, potentially. Let me double check what her name is, but she's a ex-Nazi um, who um, attributes a lot of trauma to causing her to be a Nazi well and she does recognize that she did make a choice to do that which I appreciate because not a lot of ex-Nazis um will admit that yeah um Shannon Martinez um <laughs> and right. important the, point that it is yeah. always a choice that <laughs> the media likes to pathologize Pete yeah. white supremacists to the point where it does they can divorce themselves from it and yeah in reality like pe people with mental illness who are much more likely to be victims than perpetrators by very vast percentage yeah absolutely um and i'd like to talk about the countering violent extremism field and its ableism because Oh, that has come up a lot lately. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, in any case, sorry, I'll, I'll finish my point. Um, Shannon um, subscribes a lot to the, the idea around trauma and uh, those things sort of leading people into these sorts of extremist groups. Um, I don't fully subscribe to her um, thinking on that. We've talked about it before, but um, she's seen... Um, from her de-radicalization work um, that's all volunteer, just a lot of people with a lot of what you might think of as conflicting identities, like even Jewish people um, in these neo-Nazi spaces. Um, uh, you know, th these aren't neat lines basically. And neo-Nazis and other fascists have realized this um, and they're trying to take advantage of it. Um, they'll say, oh, we, we're not a racist organization. Um, we have a person of color in our group, which is literally the um, excuse every racist uses, yeah. but it works on many, many white people. Well, it, it's, it definitely makes sense from a tactical perspective that if you're, you have a bigger enemy, you're willing to make alliances with people you know, who are a lesser threat and- yeah. Does do you think that the people who, who say these things are thinking that way, like that they'll be 
they'll eventually get to getting rid of Ben Shapiro, a very famous Jewish right-wing pundit. <laughs> well, what I'll say about that is Ben Shapiro, um, he is not very well liked in most of the spaces I monitor um, because he is Jewish and he's pro-Israel. Um, and these spaces tend to be um, anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist in the anti-Semitic way. Um, they're not pro-Palestinian by any measure. Um, right. Just to show that out there. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so like a lot of what you um, tend to see and you can, I, I, I've seen this through um, a leaked Iron March um, forum shreds and direct messages that people have had on Iron March. Iron March, um, I should probably d- define that. That's the, um, it was, it's basically fascist Facebook, or at least was, um, and I believe they marketed it that way too. Um, it's the network where a lot of different, um, I, don't, I almost don't want to say groups, but like net, other like kinds of networks developed, neo-Nazi um, networks like Ottomwaf and Division, um, the base, uh, Federkrieg Division. I messed up pronouncing that probably because I don't have it in front of me. Um, but uh, hardcore Nazis, to say the least. Um, a lot of this is just bullying <laughs> that happens, like standard ass bullying techniques um, used on marginalized people within that group. Something you might even see in a left wing group. Um, and makes people, particularly women, do certain forms of labor um, for the group. They um, encourage um, particularly disabled people to go out and um, uh, commit mass violence. I mean, incel communities, uh, it's a trigger warning for suicide. Um, the, the, the idea is uh, cope or rope and um, they, they are encouraging people to go ER, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's yeah sorry <laughs> that's a lot <laughs> no i i knew this going in and i know you meant when they say weaponized autism which is one of the many slang terms that get thrown around but let groups that are on the just on the internet in general it seems but they mean it literally in in fascist communities? Yeah, in a really big sense. Um, so weaponized autism really gained its popularity um, after um, a group of 4chaners um, collectively figured out where Shia LaBeouf's um, he will not divide us thing flag was um, several times, took it down, put up a Pepe flag, etc., And in addition to like being this joke that autism is like, um, like, like, I don't know, it's a show Criminal Minds where there's like that autistic super detective. Um, there's like a lot of those shows. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was worried about that one. I haven't watched any of them. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, having like these autistic superpowers. It also refers to things like making graphic design um, and um, very infrequently it refers to mass violence, um, but um, it can um, sometimes. (laughs) Um, 
don't know. It, it's a horrible term. Basically, it's it's used in a way that um, manipulates autistic people in the movement. Um, and it's a role that many autistic people in the hate movement are happy to play. Because um, if you, you know, think about it, like doing a whole bunch of work overcompensating for being autistic is just a very um, autistic experience. Yeah. <laughs> Just usually it's high school and not, um, uh, you know, being in a Nazi group. <laughs> yeah, it, a lot of this is who we are, just taken to a greater extreme. Yeah. And one thing that when I've done my own reading, which is not nearly as complete as you, but was is kind of necessary in this day and age, to just be aware of all this fascist stuff is there is always an element of sheer ridiculousness to these people. Mm-hmm. Like the whole phrase weaponized autism to describe their commitment to white supremacy as power level, like out of a Dragon Ball Z episode. Right. And it it doesn't always seem clear how much of this is self-aware. Yeah, there's so there's a really um, there's a really good meme. I hate saying it like that, but like there's a really good meme that really describes this sort of framing around it. Um, it's a picture of um, a SpongeBob character. I think it might be Fred the Fish. I don't know, but um, it's a very common like image, and uh, it's captioned with "Wait, you guys are actually racist? I thought it was a joke." And that is exactly how, like, mean prop- memes as propaganda is working in those cases. Um, they're not actually joking. They are racist, even if they're making those jokes. Um, and people do get into these communities through jokes and humor um, that sort of tries to hide the true intentions of the propagandist or the meme maker. Right. There's a plausible deniability if you can say you're just joking yeah like i don't know how much you were on forums in the 2000s but like this was everywhere totally unchallenged it's like oh we have our little pet troll who says heil hitler no that guy was probably actually just a nazi not just an asshole yeah (laughs) yeah yeah but it with a lot of stuff it seems hard to separate the sincere belief in the ideology out from the just pragmatic incentives it provides. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I'll let you finish. Well, I'm just thinking that like, that with a lot of autistic people recruited, even if they don't, sincerely believe it, they might be in too deep with the community and have tied that enough to them, their sense of self and their sense of community to go against it. Yeah, um, a lot of this is, you know, um, driven too by wanting a sense of community. You know, we've in the United States and many other countries destroyed our community centers. We've destroyed through um, suburban and urban planning, um, the ability for teens to actually congregate in a neutral or good space. Um, 
you know, um, there, there's nowhere to be except um, on a phone or a computer screen um, because it was deliberately built that way um, over fears of, you know, what Hillary Clinton called super predators, you know. Yeah. Um, we've deliberately made our cities hostile. We've destroyed many of our community centers, as, as I mentioned before. It's something's got to fill that void. Something has to. And um, for many people, that is. Um, political um and a subset of that is going to be far-right politics yeah i mean there's i think there's a pretty clear consensus amongst literally everyone that things are not good right now in the world yeah but the conclusions that people come to as to why and the solutions they come up with are radically different and in fascism in the far right it seems to be in terms of a very hyper individualistic approach yeah so on all parts of our politics pretty much except for a few neoliberals there's there is a consensus that um, the United States is in some sort of apocalyptic collapse. Maybe it's slow moving, maybe it's just around the corner, um, say like you're a rapturist or something. Um, but on, on the left, you'll, you'll see a lot of people say um, the collapse of the United States is imminent, you know, hooray, uh, America is a paper tiger. <laughs> Um, which, you know, I can argue to hell and back around um, whether I think the American empire is actually um, going to decline and like uh, and go away with like in our lifetime or some bullshit yeah. like that. <laughs> um, uh, but there's that consensus, right? That things are getting quote unquote worse or um, uh, that there's, you know, some sort of decline. Um, and indeed, a lot of things have gotten fucking awful. Yeah. I haven't left my home in weeks because of the Omicron variant. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, it's not surprising that both the perception and the actual material reality driving these perceptions have led to a lot of people into um, ideologies which fetishize collapse. Accelerationism, for example, that's the ideology of uh, the base and um, out of often division and far too many networks to name. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I forgot a little bit where I was going with this one but like that's a really huge driver you know people are being blackpilled um essentially because like shit sucks <laughs> yeah it's like i've encountered accelerationists on the left who genuinely believe it, it would have been the tactical thing to give trump another term yeah i mean a lot of them are just fools in my opinion um when i say accelerationism um, in general, I'm talking about the right. Left-wing accelerationism looks very different. It's generally not um, premised on the idea of attacking infra critical infrastructure. Um, like um, there was FBI recently arrested um, some people from an accelerationist network for trying to hit, I think, power grid, the power grid, um, for example. They, they literally believe the more that they can hasten collapse, 
the better that they are off on winning a, um, in, the, in the old school terminology, a racial holy war um, to build a white ethno state. Um, on the left, it's more like, well, maybe if things get bad, we'll have a workers movement. It's, um, you know, not, not the same. <laughs> you, you don't have left-wing no. people going out and shooting people in Walmarts. No. I, I mean, even the most insufferable tanky wouldn't do that. No, of course not. Um, the, you know, the closest we've gotten to a, a left-leaning person doing some sort of political violence in the last, um, like, in a way that would be severely disruptive to the state in the last, um, I don't know how many decades, um, since like the Weverman probably, um, is the guy who shot Steve Scalise um, at a baseball game because he was was a terminally ill Bernie Sanders supporter is how he was described. Um, And he wanted to take out um, right-wing politicians because he was angry at that. That that's not a coherent political program, um, no. as as fucked up as assassinations are. You know, that's not a coherent political program like the El Paso shooter had, or the Christchurch shooter had, um, or the Pittsburgh shooter had, or you know, the list goes on. Yeah, but you mentioned that having spoken to Shannon Martinez, was it? Yeah, she's a former um, skinhead neo-Nazi. Who's now working to help de-radicalize other people? Yeah, she does that on a volunteer basis. um, And it's tremendous work. She's gotten many, many, many people out of, um, you know, Nazi and fascist spaces um, for decades. I won't tell her story for her. Um, she's told her story countless times. She now works for also a, um, uh, a group that counters violence extremism called Peril. Um, and um, uh, she also has a Patreon, which I want to plug because um, she's going through a really yeah. hard time right now and I she needs yeah. support. And, yeah. Well, <laughs> It's that, but it's proof that it can be done because, well, someone who gets into the fascist mindset, much like being joining a cult, is impervious to reason. There are ways that there's a potential to reintegrate them into society. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of formers, both ones that are more famous, um, like her and Christian Picciolini. Um, and others who I, I won't name who've reached out to me and my organization. Um, but there's also, um, you know, I, I will caution, there's also people who realize that, you know, posing as a former is a really great way to spread your ideology anyways. Um, Jeff Shop of the, for, I guess, formerly of the National Socialist Movement, he has not changed his ideology. He just calls himself a former he gets money from speaking engagements um, and, you know, he's a fraudster, um, essentially. Um, he's just as racist as he always was. Matthew Heimbach um, of the Traditionalist Workers Party posed as a former um, for a few years. Um, and, you know, he's still a neo-Nazi. He's a Strasserist um, specifically. Oh, right. Um, That's like the <laughs> red-brown laborers' rights strain of 
Yeah. So as, as the name traditionalist workers party suggests, he, he believes in, you know, national socialism, <laughs> right? Like just a literal Nazi. He's like, he, he really wants socialism just for white people. Um, which, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's even more um, abhorrent than just chauvinists and settler socialists yeah, it- right? who are um, racist um and I don't want to downplay that at all um, in the socialist movement, but are not literal Nazis. Yeah, I mean, there is like, with the rise of the so-called dirt, dirtbag left, yeah. a kind of emergence of like disdain for any sort of identity politics. Right, that and well, that's make, a bridge. Yeah, and that's yeah. another thing that's fr- frightening because well the it's true that identity politics have been used in in rather maybe not sinister ways but definitely manipulative and shallow yeah and but of course if there's the likes of the stress rights or uh, there are certain people on the bread tube community who've gone that direction where mm-hmm. they're like having inter- wanting to have interviews with Milo Yiannopoulos. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it was a former Chapo Trap house. Um, I have a frequent guest or, or, or uh, host, Amy Therese. I mean, she's just an out and out fascist these days. Yeah. Um, she started on the dirt back left. Um, she calls, still calls herself a Marxist. I mean, I, you can see her Twitter. Um, she's an out and out fascist. I, I happen to monitor her Twitter a, a bit because she has some weird fascination of autistic people and um, the, um, the, the um, Apu memes that's an autistic Pepe. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, she certainly influences autism discourses and fascism. Yeah, it's the internet feels a lot like a hall of mirrors in terms of ideology. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and you see, like, so in the same way that, or I guess not in the same way, but like in a similar way that you have this shallow level of identification of being a fascist or a Nazi or far-right nationalist or, or any kind of white nationalist, for example. And that's how like you have an entry point there. It's not like there's not, you know, that kind of dynamic happening in left spaces and other um, non-dominant political spaces is how I'm going to phrase it because there's stuff beyond um, left and right spaces that are also political and not, you know, the dominant ideology. Um, you know, we call these people first day commie kids or meme socialists. Um, there are meme national socialists. Um, it doesn't mean they're any less um, invested in those ideologies. Well, the, yeah, it doesn't mean they're any less like true believers or invested in that ideology. They just might not be organized yet. Yeah, it's. I mean, I salute you for the work you do in following these groups and keeping tabs on them and understanding the kind of tactics they use to recruit and 
speaking out against it. Yeah, a lot of it is done by other people too. Um, both, both within autism against fascism and uh, we, I, I, a lot of what I do is read um, whatever people are doing. Um, you know, people at the IRMS and uh, people at uh, political research associates, they, they put out very good primers on these things. Uh, ben Lorber has a great primer on Groypers that I refer to a lot. Well, that's, that's similar to why I have this podcast because I know my own voice is insignificant, but if I can amplify other voices who are heard by those who, who will amplify them in turn to help build a kind of, in, in any capacity, no matter how small, better understanding of what's going on and understanding that that we need to get together and fight this and be prepared for this. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, usually I'm talking to people who are other cartoonists or other podcasters who who, came, who t- ended up talking about fascism because of its role in movements like Gamergate and Comicsgate. Yeah. But this but you're dealing with the unleaded stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, for, for me personally, you know, there's other people doing other kinds of research for me personally. Um, I stick a lot to Twitter, which already pre-filters what I see. Um, on Twitter, you tend to get people who are a little more public facing about their ideology in part because Twitter has a ban hammer that comes around occasionally um uh, maybe yeah. half the the feeds of my various alts will be like help me find my friends which is just someone who's been suspended for going to mask off <laughs> um, or, or their tweet getting too popular and getting seen by quote-unquote normies um you know trying to get their followers back there's so much that twitter could have done just around trump alone that they didn't do until so much damage had already been done yeah. Uh, ironically, Reddit is one of the best websites about this. It's incredible. If you told me in 2015 Reddit would be a leader in ethics and uh, internet moderation, <laughs> um, I, I would have looked at you funny. <laughs> but here we are. Well, House of Mirrors and all. Yeah, but I want to go back to something important that which is of course taking care of your mental health and Mm -hmm. that's that's much like identity politics a good thing that's been perverted as an excuse by capital so like oh you're working too much and you're exhausted maybe you should do some yoga instead of like oh you oh, your boss should not be asking you to work this much for so little. That's inhumane. We must do something about it. Yeah. But for self-care, like to find things to keep yourself going, what would your personal choices be? Like now we're getting into personal autistic hyperfixation time so you can go nuts. <laughs> sure. Um, so um, I, I guess I'll start with... Um, 
I needed to make rules for myself when, when I was engaging with this material. Um, and especially early on, I was scouring through more of the more hardcore material. I hadn't gotten to a more natural rhythm of just checking up on uh, my favorite Nazis, basically. Just <laughs> um, apparently a common thing in, in the extremism researcher spaces. <laughs> um, well, if you have that kind of ability to disconnect from how horrible it is, you can like <laughs> laugh at some of these people, like that guy oh, Varg, especially. Oh, he's annoying to me personally. <laughs> like I laugh at him sometimes when people are dunking on him, but like he's really annoying. Also, like I mean, that guy's dangerous. <laughs> oh yeah, he's a murderer and a terrorist. But yeah, he, literally, like, uh, and he's definitely an example of how the ridiculousness helps people not take them seriously because he's got like all this, like Norse mythology, Teutonic rhetoric. Oh, if you want to laugh, you need to read his blog post about why Norse mythology isn't gay. <laughs> God. <laughs> Oh my it, god, I, that's... It's really peak humor. I, I mean, it, it, it's one of the few things that I can laugh at. <laughs> with him. No, but, um, yeah, just on the original question, I should probably answer it. Um, I needed to make rules for myself because I got really severely depressed when I started, like, getting really into this research. Um and I was, you know, going to bed, scrolling from my phone or my computer, reading Nazi tweets. I'd wake up, I'd read Nazi tweets. Um, that was a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Holly Alavin talks about this uh, quite a bit because she went through something similar, um, more so than me even, because I, I at least um, had some other stuff to do. Oh, yeah, I follow her. She's great. Yeah, she's awesome. Um um but yeah um you know i i made a rule for myself i don't look at nazis after 9 p.m <laughs> um, uh, i if i'm feeling too overwhelmed with research i take a break um for a few days um i don't look at nazis on shabbat usually um you know these are rules that um, I've adopted also from other researchers. I have a researcher friend who has fascism-free Fridays. So every Thursday night, she stops looking at fascists and she might look at fascists on um, Friday night, but, yeah. um, you know, it's it's a way to um, stop making Nazis 24-7 when yeah. you look at <laughs> We all have our methods of coping so like i have the pomodoro test the thing where you have that pomodoro tomato timer and you mm-hmm. set it for 20 minutes and you get as much done for that except for yeah. doom scrolling about climate and fascism stuff oh absolutely yeah so like if i can stick get myself to stick to that which i need to for my own mental health it's like okay there's the time i set aside to read about the rise of fascism in the country. Then mm. I go pet the cat and play Halo. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, a lot of researchers will um, you know, take retreats um, uh, to just, 
you know, disconnect from all, all, all of their, um, you know, research opportunities, um, which is basically their phones and computers and everything. Um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really incredible. Um, it's just, um, what people are dealing with when they're seeing all this stuff and, um, it makes me in particular really angry for what fascists are doing to people in person. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one thing to see something awful on Telegram. It's another thing to be personally victimized by yeah. fascists. And often, you know, researchers are, um, and that's awful. But, um, for, you know, there's, there's definitely distinctions there. Well, with their tactics, like with doxing and swatting and the yeah. kind of proxy terrorism of working people up in such a place that one person is going to do a shooting, it, they've got a lot of ways to get to you. So Absolutely. like, how do you stay safe while doing all this? Um, well, partially what I do is um, I'm not going after um some of the more hardcore ones. Um, that's a choice I've made. Um, and that's, you know, what I'm doing. Um, I don't have, um, you, you know, there's, you know, there's people in this field who um, are protected in, in certain ways by um, their status. Like they work at, you know, uh, prestigious universities, um, and they're maybe paid, you know, a good deal of money so they can invest in security at their house. Um, for a lot of researchers, it looks like, honestly, like, they know that, you know, they need a plan to leave um, at some point, and they plan for that, and they keep monitoring the situation. That's um, not, you know, <laughs> it's not great. Um, fighting fascism comes with real risks. Yeah. Um, for a lot of people, they're anonymous. Um, you know. Well, that's the importance of amplifying the voices of people who are doing this and connecting as many of us to each other as possible. Yes, and sending tips to the tip lines. <laughs> Very important. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to talk... Um, if we can more on, you know, autism specific. Sure. We have yeah. some time. Um, Cause like, that's, that's <laughs> my specialty is I feel like I've been kind of summarizing the field a little bit more, which I'm not opposed to. It's just, I'm not necessarily an expert. Yeah. So uh, autism specifically in what other terms have we not gone over? Um. So uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot to do with, um, you know, how the autism community works, for example. So I, I don't know if you read through um, the article on, on, our, on our website around um, why the autism community has fascists in it. Um, it's a three-part series um, with one part so far. Uh, we'll, we'll see when the second and third one comes up. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a lot of structural and historical reasons why fascism and the autism community as, as, as separate from the autistic community um, is, is such, an, such an issue, even more so than other communities. 
Um, in the autism community, you mean like professionals dealing with autistic yeah. people from a medical perspective? Yeah, everyone um, who is, in, in the words of many autism community organizations, affected by autism. Um, so autistic people, you know, we have our own communities. Um, that's the autistic community. And then there's professionals um, who work with us, um, our family members, parents, um, you know, th- th- that all makes up the autism community. Um, and there's, there's varying politics and all of it. Um, neurodiversity certainly is a small, small subset um, of the autism community. Um, and obviously it has intersections with other communities as well, because it's not just autism. But um, neurodiversity aligned um, autism community spaces are certainly not the dominant form. Um, Anti-vaxxers is something I call out in particular um, because they have very successfully positioned themselves in places of power in the autism community, in the IDD, intellectual developmental disability community, in, in addition to that. And through them, a lot of the community drifted farther and farther to the right because anti-vaxxers um, used to be a bit nonpartisan. Um, so they were neither Democrats nor Republicans or both Democrats and, and Republicans. Now, anti-vaxxers are very firmly with the Republicans in many cases, not necessarily with Trump though. Trump being very pro-vaccine lately um, since 2020 has made them sort of ditch him a little. I, there is a very small amount of schadenfreude to take in that <laughs> because as, because given how narcissistic it is, he couldn't help but take credit for the fact that the vaccine program started under him and the pandemic he tried to ignore. And to see like, the right-wing cartoonist Ben Garrison, who's notorious for drawing mm-hmm. Trump as a sexy muscle man, oh, doing anti-Trump ca- cartoons now because his anti-vaxism outweighs his love for Donald. Yeah. It, by the way, shout out to Ben Garrison for the autism tiger. That is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I love it. Thank oh, you so yeah. much, Ben Garrison. I did my own version on that. <laughs> it's so good i yeah. i mean the cartoon obviously is a, it's a horrible message but like i love the autism i got it i have to admit he it he goes hard like there are some <laughs> political cartoonists who just have talking heads <laughs> saying the message he'll do like this entire tapestry of weird labels and stereotypes and as an artist, part of me kind of respects that, even though it's always terrible messages. Yeah, his his art is, um, we'll, we'll say, interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the first things I saw of him before I even knew who Barry Harrison was, was this um, fascist um, conspiracy theorist um, political cartoon that... Um, it was really effective propaganda um, and it got memed to hell um, in left-wing spaces as well. They made edits of it, um, which really only amplified the original material. Yeah, I know there's um, a lot of edits 
of his work spliced with it, Nazi Germany caricatures of Jews that right. while it does illustrate how terrible his stuff it is, it's still putting that shit out in the world. Absolutely. Um, and the one in particular that um, I'm most concerned about, not all edits um, are helping him. Some edits definitely don't. Um, but the one in particular I'm thinking of is, uh, is has a pyramid on there with like, it's it's captioned of Illuminati and the pyramid has two legs, one's Democrat, one's Republican, and it's stomping on Americans um, saying uh, something about change in four years or whatever. Um, and I, I mean, you know, obvious conspiracy theory references, um, obvious anti-Semitism, and you know, it's fascism. It's yeah, fascism. and and of course, there's a kernel of truth in it in the way that both parties are influenced by money. Yeah, uh, and that's what made it so effective too, right? And that's why um, you saw people on the left who are against both of the capitalist parties. Um, making edits of it yeah but the thing but it gives like this elaborate cosmology to to it ascribing a tremendous conspiracy with a lot of actors usually playing on anti-semitic stereotypes to what's ultimately just a few assholes buying off politicians yep yeah yeah well I think we should stop before this gets e- even worse. <laughs> I, I, can, I can't imagine how you do this multiple times. You know, it a lot of breaks um, and connecting with researchers, you know. I think every single researcher has a group chat. <laughs> um, yeah. And God help them if they don't. <laughs> and is there a way that you can help this negativity not spill over into your interactions with loved ones who rightly don't want to think about Nazis all day? Sorry, say the question again? Well, it's like, this is a tremendous amount of negativity. And when you have friends and family and other loved ones who who agree with you, may agree with you, but they don't want to think about Nazis all the time and who can blame them but it does, it's such a concern to you that it spills over and it definitely puts a strain on the relationship. Like, how do you negotiate that? Um, you know, a, people have their boundaries for reasons, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe some of them are not good. Like, um, well, I don't want to think about um, how people are being harmed or something. That's not necessarily a good reason. But um you know, you have to work with, you know, people as, as, as they are and be um, thoughtful around how you communicate, you know, all these sorts of issues. Um, and that, you know, that goes for lots of different things, um, as, you know, even positive things too. Um, I would say that um, it becomes really important to do this kind of education um, when there is something urgent happening. Um, So when I worked at a school, um, middle school, there was a student I had who was autistic, um, 13 year old. 
Um, and he set off some red flags around his engagement with um, uh, conspiracy theory materials, particularly around history, um, junk science, and um, really fascist yeah. narratives. And um, he's, he's really just a kid. Gladiators. Yeah. Um, and I believe a lot of these historical myths about gladiators. Um, he became a vegan because he he believed that it would give him like super strength, like gladiators. Oh, right. There's like the segment of veganism that's wanting to be pure. Yeah. And I don't think he was necessarily into that sort of um, a thing. He was just like, well, gladiators were vegan and they were super strong. Um, this website said so. So I'm going to do that. Um, and, you know, I, I, talked with him a lot um, about it. I tried to challenge sort of those um, assumptions that he was having and he um, participated in a lot of ableist and racist um, um, harassment of other classmates um, and his particular scapegoats um, while also receiving ableist um, harassment. Right, you know, there's a dual victim perpetrator sort of status that a lot of people have. Um, and it's particularly true of margin. Oh my, I hate saying the word marginalized Nazis. That's basically what they are. Yeah. <laughs> well, these children especially are so vulnerable to that. They're also at a place where they're, there's still a chance you can pull them out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, look, uh, from what I understood from when he talked to me about how things were going at home, I mean, uh, they weren't very well. He had a lot of access to guns. Um, he knew how to use them. And, you know, I tried to bring this up and to his case manager. And I was rightly worried because uh, by the time I was able to get in contact with his case manager, turns out that he had made a school shooting trap. Uh, and, um, you know, that didn't come out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> so the reason I'm telling you this story is um, because, you know, these things happen, you know, yeah. we live in a really screwed up world, um, where these things happen and having knowledge of, you know, what to look out for and what is maybe concerning is very helpful and having the ability to say something to someone and try and see if they see it too, yeah. you know, that. It's really helpful. And that's a perfectly fine way of engaging with it. You don't need to read leaked iron marsh shreds, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope that kid has been pulled away from this. My understanding um, is that he's doing better, um, which I'm very happy about. That's good. Um, was the school system supportive when you were reporting all this? Uh, I mean, they um, didn't understand um, as many schools don't. And I don't think they quite got it. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of that education that needs to be happening. Um, and there are tools that people can use. So the Western State Center has a very good um a guide for schools um on combating white nationalism 
and I'm happy to link that to you. Okay. Um, thank you very much for your your time and all this and i will probably need to wash my hands a few times tonight but (laughs) i get that this was valuable and i'm honored to have been a platform for this discussion (laughs) thank you zvi you can check out her work in the notes below thank you so much